today about, not, not just to moms, but to all of us, about the importance of the legacy that we leave. Legacy is a big deal. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today and just want to start us off in prayer. And, you know, one man who had a big legacy on some people in our church, uh, Mr. Charles Smith, I don't know him, maybe some of you do, but that's Martin Winslow's stepdad, but functionally his dad. He passed away suddenly this week while we were in India. And so Martin had to come home early. But um, as we open up in prayer for the message, just want to pray for Martin and his family as they are going through, a, you know, just a shock of losing Mr. Charles. Let's all pray together. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for your amazing love for us. And so, Lord, I just pray that today, as Martin's meeting with his brothers and is with his mom, that you would just bring them comfort. God, we praise you for Mr. Charles' faith. Lord, we know exactly that he is with you. There's no doubt about that. So, God, thank you for that incredible comfort. Lord, as they have to adjust life without him, I just pray you give them grace. And um, God, as they plan the details of this uh, celebration of his life, I pray that you would supply all their needs. Uh, God, help there to be good harmony and unity in the family. And Lord, for some of Martin's family that's not believers yet, I pray, God, you would use Charles's testimony uh, just to ring loudly in their, in their hearts and minds that they may come to faith in you. Jesus, we pray for our time that we spend together in your word now. As we look at this Old Testament text uh, that had application in the Old Testament, but God, we see some principles for us today. So Lord, may you be honored in how we proceed in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Jeremiah chapter 29, pretty popular passage. Um, it's, a, it's a passage that a lot of you might be your life verse. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, anybody know what that says? We're going to read it together. So let's all stand up. We'll read this together. Jeremiah chapter 29, um, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And it please the Lord to read his word. Amen. Thanks be seated. So just got back from India last night, spent uh, two weeks away, and um, we spent the first week in Nepal, working with our Nepali church plant there, and that was phenomenal. Things are going great. Um, probably in the next week or two, we'll have some pictures and videos to show of that, but uh, we've rented them a little house to meet in, and they're already packed in it out. I mean, it's incredible. So they had, a, in a room, probably about half the size of our choir room, they had like 60 people. And so it's just super exciting uh, what's going on there. So it's been a week there, but then we did some pastor training. And then last week, we then flew to Hyderabad, India. Uh, some of you might know Ephraim. Ephraim is the executive director of Bethlehem Christian Academy, who's a ministry partner of us. And uh, we went and saw his family, and that's, there's Ephraim and his mom and dad there in the front. Uh, and uh, we got to meet them. But then we got to go down to southern India, a very poor area where we're looking to help a church plant there and maybe even start a, a, a Christian school. So just a lot of really, really exciting stuff. But as we met, go, go back to the previous slide, please, Shelly. If you go back, so if you look at this family right here, so the gentleman in the white T-shirt sitting down, that is Ephraim's father. And we're talking about legacy today. This is an incredible legacy family. So 
Ephraim's dad's granddad, let me follow that, so, his, so Ephraim's great-grandfather in Hyderabad back in the 1930s helped start a church there in the city. And he started a church um, with this, this gentleman named Pastor Bok Singh. Let's go to the next slide. And there's a picture of us coming. Uh, there we are pictured with Pastor Bok Singh. So in the 1930s, Pastor Bok Singh started this church in the middle of Hyderabad. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Hyderabad, India? Very few, just a couple, right? I had not really heard of it either. Now I've heard of like New Delhi and Calcutta and, you know, Mumbai. I've heard of those. Well, you know, Hyderabad is a smaller city. It only has about 11 million people, right? Um, but Pastor Bok Singh in the 30s was radically saved. He grew up in the Sikh religion, which is the, where's the, the turbans and all, if you're familiar with that faith or not, it's a Northern India religion, but he got radically saved. And he believed God called him to go to Southern India to share the gospel. He had no idea he'd be starting a church and he had no idea what would happen today. Well, today, this church in Hyderabad, India, they have thousands of people every week. And then after that, our kitchen crew, they feed lunch to all those thousands every single week. What about that for a kitchen crew? Their kitchen crew, though, it's a different kind of setup. They have a lot of volunteers for the church that actually live at the church. So they give their life to serving at the church. And so it's just a different kind of setup. But, man, it is incredible what has gone on there because of the legacy that Pastor Boxing and Ephraim Konki's great-grandfather started back in the 30s. And now there are churches all over India because of those two, how God used those two gentlemen. That is legacy. And so we're talking about legacy today, the legacy of faith. So I truly believe that today in our adult generation, that the vast majority of us, we all really want to live our lives in a way that prepares the next generation for success and better days, amen? I mean, what father does not wanna see his children have a better, more successful life than he did? What mother want, doesn't want to see her children and her grandchildren have a better, more successful life than she did? That's just part of being a parent, right? That's part of loving our children. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. I, you know, and so we, we want this for our children, but we have to be willing to do what it takes. And so the big thought today, if you have your notes opened up, is that the faithfulness of future generations is directly impacted by the loving sacrifice of the generations before. Notice those two key words, loving sacrifice. We're gonna talk about that. Let's just dive right in here to a text, right? So verse 11, now let me just say, I know we quote this verse a lot, and I've even commented on this verse several times from here. We, we comment that, you know, he has the plans for us, plans are prosperous. When God gave this promise, he gave it to a specific group of people in a specific time and a specific place. So here's what was going on. The Jewish people, the nation of Judah at the time, had just been taken off into exile, right? This wicked, evil king named Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon had come in and destroyed the city, taken God's people into captivity, taken them away. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the palace. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed everyone's houses. It was devastating. And now God's people have been taken away into exile, into Babylon. So they need hope. So here God gives them this hope. So this message is not directly to you and me. 
right? We'll talk about the applications later. So there's things you can pull from it. I'm not against it if you have it as a life verse, right? It's a great verse. But the, the immediate context is this is a message to a particular group of people in a particular group in a particular time. And so we see here that God, number one in your notes, God has his plans. I know the plans I have for you. Now, is it true that God has plans for you? Absolutely. Amen. God has plans for you. He had plans for his people. And so the first thing I'm going to talk about here is God has this end game in mind, right? He's got the final picture. He knows that that's going to be. He's already there. He's not bound by time. He's already there. And he knows what that future is, right? And so now he's, he's moving us along. He's encouraging us along through his promises, through his word, through saving us, through filling us with his spirit. He helps us to get to this end game, right? For the Hebrew people, and here in the Old Testament, we see that for the Old Testament Jews, that was for them to have wholeness, not evil, to have a future and a hope. Now imagine, you've just been taken from your homes. Did you have any hope that it would ever be restored? Well, here God has given you and your people hope. Yes, one day they would get to return. For his people to have relationship with him. Look at this relational language. Verse 12, you will call upon me. You will come and pray to me. I will hear you. You will seek me. You will find me when you seek with all your heart. That's all relationship language. God is always desired to have relationships with every single one of us. And that's just, you just kind of, Think about that for just a moment. That's common, that's it's Christianity 101. That is the foundation of what this is all about, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That Christianity is not a bunch of rules and procedures. You know, it's not a bunch of going through certain actions. It's about, do you know Jesus and him knowing you? Is Jesus in you? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you enjoying that relationship with him? You may be saying, well, gosh, what are, you, what are you talking about, Daniel? Well, if, you've, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's most likely you have not experienced that. And that would be a next step for you today. We'll talk about that at the end. But Jesus wants to have relationship with you. He also told them he would restore their fortunes. He would gather them from all the nations when he's driven them away and bring them back home. So that's the promise that God gave to Israel. But how does this end game for us? How does this end game apply to you and me? What are some applications we can, we can look at here? First, wholeness, wholeness. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, mankind has been a broken and fragmented image bearer of God. If you go back to the beginning, Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make man in our image. In the likeness of us, he created them, male and female. So Adam and Eve were beautiful, image bearers of God. But then we get to Genesis 2, and God promised them in verse 17, the day you eat of that fruit of the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And you get to chapter 3, and we see that they bite the forbidden fruit, the one law that they had, the one no. Everything was a yes, the one no. They disobeyed, and they bit the forbidden fruit. And at that moment, although they were still alive physically, they died spiritually. That beautiful image of God, although still remained, was now fragmented, broken, shattered. So, and they were spiritually dead. That's why we must be born again. That's why we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, those whom he foreknew, those whose plans, the end game that God has, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means 
putting us back together into the image of Christ, right? Kind of in a, in a way, kind of like Humpty Dumpty, right? We, we, when we fell, we, we shattered, right? We died spiritually. The, the image of God in us is broken and shattered and fragmented. There's still some things we do that are good. We still can do some good things, but we are depraved and sinful to the core. But through salvation, through being born again, through faith in Christ, he begins a process of sanctifying us. He begins a process of conforming us to the image of Christ so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this issue of wholeness, if you ever haven't felt whole, if you've felt like you sinned or let God down and you know, you, how do you get back there? You can't. Only God can do that in you and through you. But he, and he alone can. Secondly, a future and a hope. Yes, this is true for us as believers. We have a future and we have a hope. It's not exactly the same as it was meant for the Jewish people to be back in Jerusalem again, right? But we have the promise in the new Jerusalem. See, here's the interesting thing about the Old Testament. So much of what happens between God and his people although historically true and accurate, is also kind of symbolic what he does for all of us in the end, right? So you have Jerusalem in the Old Testament, they come back to Jerusalem, but in the end we come to the new Jerusalem, right? So just look at some, uh, some verses here for the life now and coming up. So John 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come you may have life and have it abundantly. That's our future and hope. Revelation chapter 21, if you, if you have your Bible, just flip over that. Let's just read just a few verses of that. Revelation 21. Verse one, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him. Look at this relational language. See, it's so similar to Jeremiah here, isn't it? He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Doesn't that sound good? No more death. And a lot of you on Mother's Day, it's hard because your mama's already gone to be with the Lord. And so this is a hard day, kind of bittersweet. Sweet because maybe you're yourself a mom and you enjoy being with your kids or grandkids and you love that time, but you know, once... Once you lose your parent, you know, it's just those days just have a little sting to them. But just know that sting, let it be just a, instead of it being a negative, let it be a, a positive reminder. There's a day coming where that sting will sting no more. Amen? It will sting no more. That's our future and that's our hope. And why is that our future and hope? All because of Jesus. All because Verse number three, he will restore us and he will gather us together. The restoration that we experience in Jesus, that salvation, him putting us back together, that is why Jesus came. Again, if you're new to Christianity or haven't read a bunch about it or just kind of checking things out, 
Christianity is all about Jesus and what we call the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's the good news? The good news is that God is holy, we're sinful and separated from God. That didn't sound like good news. But the good news is that's why Jesus came, because we're spiritually dead. And what can dead people do? Nothing, nothing. But Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in my place, took the sin that I deserved, took my spiritual death upon himself, and he breathed into us the life of faith through, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. That's the born again experience. Only because of what Jesus does, does he restore us. And there's gonna be a bunch. One day you're gonna get all gathered together. I love Revelation 7. It talks about this. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages and standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So look, every nation, right? A great multitude. So just in India this week, it was a really spiritually dark place. I mean, there's worship of Hinduism and Hinduism has over 300 million gods and goddesses. That's, that's a lot. I mean, that's about the same as the population of the United States, right? Now, they're not real, they're, they're, they're empty, but that's what they think. And they go all of these acts and they build these temples and these statues and these really hard to get to places. Like one day, our last day in Nepal, we're in Nepal for the first week. And our last day in Nepal, we climbed up this, this mountain to get to this statue that was a major attraction. It was for the Hindu god Skiva, right? And he's just a, a weird looking dude. But uh, we get up there and I mean, there's all these people doing these pilgrimages there and they're doing all these religious rites there. And he had these elderly ladies, 70, 80 years old, climbing up this mountain to get to Skiva. Such devotion for such lies. It's heartbreaking, right? And you have Buddhism. It's a big Buddhism contingent in both Nepal and, and also in India. And you also have um, Islam is in both as well. Just so much darkness. And of course, because of the different religions, there's hostilities and animosities. It's just such a dark place. And we experience a lot of warfare. So we had four pastors that went who would do pastor training and to meet kids and share the gospel stories with kids and you know, just to encourage our, our church plant, four. By this past Tuesday, all four of us have been wiped out. Two of them never even made it to India. Martin's dad died, he got taken away and I got sick. So it was just, that stuff is real, right? There's an enemy that does not wanna see the gospel go forward, but we know it does because of this kind of promise, the future and the hope that we have in Jesus. This is why we continue pressing on in, in West Africa and Zambia, where we have 36 church plants going on. It's just incredible what God's doing. The gospel is going forward. Why? Not because we're great at sharing it. It's not about us. It's because God has promised that there will be people from every tribe, every nation. That word for nation is the Greek word ethne, people group every tribe, every nation, and they will all, we will all stand before the lamb. And you'll hear all the different languages. I'll tell you, last, last, last weekend, I preached in a church plant there in Nepal. And um, the translator um, 
was decent. But then I had to lead a pastor training in India. That translator was not so decent. <laughs> he was doing the best he could. His English is a lot better than, than my um, Hindi, right? But it was so hard. I had to talk to him back and forth, like four or five sentences before I thought he understood to be able to translate. So it would normally be a 20-minute message could have turned into be like an hour, right? So obviously we truncated everything. So, so lucky for you, this, this sermon is not having to be translated. It would just double the time that it takes to get through it. But the gospel still goes forward. And so we know those languages, in spite of languages, all of us are gonna be standing before the lamb, clothed in white robes, worshiping and praising the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Number four, God's end game for us is his glory. It's all for his glory. It's not about us. It's all about him. Everything we do is to be about Jesus Christ. Look at what Revelation says in verse five. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures. And yeah, this is apocalyptic literature, the heavenly scene. But I looked around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of, of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, and saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Of course, who is the lamb? It's Jesus. Jesus the lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing forevermore. That's what it's all about. So that's God's end game for us. His end game for us has to do with our wholeness, our future and our hope, our restoration and us being gathered together with Jesus in reunion with him and one another, all for the glory of God. But God also has desires for us. What are, what, what's our response? What are, what are we to do, right? God's desire, you know, in Timothy, Paul writes that God desires that all men should repent and come to the fullness of knowledge of Christ, right? So God has that desire. And so let's look at this. First, to call upon his name. Here in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12, that's what they did. You will call upon me. He desires his people to call upon his name. Well, that happens initially at our salvation, Romans 10, 13. You'll see where Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So a lot of you who are saved, you're born again here, just raise your hand. If you've trusted in Christ, there was that moment in time where you called on the name of the Lord and he saved you. He rescued you. He filled you with his spirit. You had the born again experience. You were justified. You were put into the family of Jesus Christ. You were baptized into his body. All these things happened when you were saved and you called on the name of, your, of the Lord. Write that down if you know the date. That's important to remember that, your spiritual birthday. That's more important than your physical birthday, right? So there's the calling on the name of the Lord. But second, he says he desires for us to pray to him. He says, call upon me and come and pray to me. Now, that's not rocket science. Everyone knows we're supposed to pray. But yet, there's probably not much that we struggle more with to do on a regular basis than to pray. And yet, that is probably the greatest gift we have of being a follower of Jesus, is the access to the very presence of God. Amen? 
that you're summoned, invited, any day and every day, at any moment, to step into the throne room of the king of the universe and not be treated as a lowly servant, but to be welcomed, to be called by name. Come on in, Daniel. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. I know when I used to always look forward to going to visit my grandparents. They lived close together, both sets. And I know when I would go to my grandma and my grandfather's house, called them Mimma and Big Daddy. That's what I called them, right? I knew when we got to Mimma and Big Daddy's house that both of them would not wait for us to get to the door. They would come out, step on their front porch to greet us because they were so excited that we were there. Because they lived like four hours away. We only got to go a couple times a year. So it was a big treat for us to get to see Memo and Big Daddy. How many of you grandparents, you love it when your kids come home to visit. You just love to be, yeah. Do you, do you usually open the door and anxiously wait them to pull in the driveway and um, you know step out just, oh, I, I can't wait for them to come to the door. I'm gonna go to them, right? That was my memo and Big Daddy. It's exactly the way God is with us. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Parable Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 15. When the prodigal son had been away, he squandered his living. He, he had told his father he was, he was dead to him. He just wanted his inheritance now. And he took his inheritance, blew it all. Finally, he says he came to his senses. So he rehearsed his speech. So he begins to turn the journey back home to try to reconcile with his father because he recognized even my father's servants have a better life than I do. So maybe he'll just let me be one of his servants. But the father, who in this parable represents God the father, right? He sees his prodigal son a long way off. And what does he do? Does he sit there and wait for him to come, twiddling his thumbs? No, in a very undignified manner, which is very uncharacteristic of patriarchs in ancient Israel, he hikes up his toga, right? Shows off his legs. And there he begins running, running toward his son and gives him a big hug. His son doesn't even get to finish his rehearsed speech. His father hugs him, says, welcome home. We're gonna have a party because my son was lost, but now he's found. God loves for us to pray to him. And not just individually, but corporately, corporately together. In fact, Jesus says in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, you know, the temple began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. You made it a den of robbers. House of prayer. We're supposed to be a praying people because that's one of the greatest joys, the greatest privileges, the greatest gifts that we have as God's people is access to God himself in relationship. Not just to go in and start laying a bunch of lists up for God to answer, but to enjoy being with God, to enjoy being with him. It's radically different. You know, prayer is not about trying to get the right combination like you do at a vending machine, right combination of coins or these days dollars, right, to put in to get something out. No, it's to enjoy being with God. And out of that enjoyment of being with God comes everything else. It would be a house of prayer. So I'll ask you a question. Jesus showed up at your house this afternoon. 
He walked in, went to your living room. says, Daniel, have a seat. And you sat down, just you and Jesus. He says, hey, how, how are you doing? How are things going? Of course, he already knows. But he just wants to hear from you. So you start telling him, well, you know, kind of got jet lag. I didn't get home till about eight, seven o'clock last night and 44 hour day, you know, probably got a parasite, you know, all that fun stuff, right? So I gifted all my woes and poor me and all that. He said, well, how's your family? I'll talk about my family. Then what can I do to bless you? Wow. There's one time in the New Testament where Jesus has asked that question for him, someone comes up to him and Jesus says, what would you like me to do for you? Not that Jesus is here to serve us, no. We're here to serve him. But he wants to be intimately involved in our life. And he, he knows our end game. He knows our future and our hope. And he wants to walk us to that end game. So is God interested in what you need or burdened or worried about? Absolutely. But talk to him about it. Just sit down in your living room, have a conversation with Jesus because he's there. He's always with us. He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen? He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. You can't do anything that would make him finally just say, well, I'm done with him. That's comforting. When, you follow, when you're a follower of Jesus, born again, you are his. So pray. And see, seeking with all of our hearts. And I think this is, a, this is an American challenge, an American church challenge. Seek him with all of our heart because it is, we've gotten so apathetic in our faith in general as a, as a church of our nation, right? We're apathetic. Like church is just one of those things we do. It's never the way God meant it to be. God wants to be in, infiltrate, infused, imputed into every part of our life. Everything we're to do, Jesus is to be centered in that. In our career, it should be all about Jesus, not about how much money I can make or not even just about what am I good at, but it's all about Jesus. You know, right now there's, there's people moving to places like India who are, elect, who are electrical engineers or carpenters or whatever, but they're going to help start churches using their trade as the means to do that. That's awesome. Some of you can do that right here. And some of you do do that. You use your trade to help people out. I mean, how many times has some of the men's ministry in this church been in so many of our houses fixing stuff? You know? How many of us guys mess things up a lot that cause the men's ministry to come in and fix stuff? A lot of, well, me, right? Anyway, yeah. That's just leveraging those gifts for Jesus. Seek him with all his heart. Matthew 6, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you as well. But here's the thing. Here's where this all kind of comes to a, a close. The generation that got this promise from God in Jeremiah 29, they're, they're hurting, they're suffering. They've lost their homes. They've lost their careers lost their job, they lost family members. They're hurting. God says, I have plans for you. Plans of future and hope. 
And God, we, God, does God honor his promise? Absolutely, but not to that generation. It would be 150 years later for those people. The next generation would be able to move back. So for that generation, they had a question to ask themselves, question to ponder. Do we stay faithful to the Lord in our exile even though we will never see the return to our city? But are we faithful so that our sons and daughters can? So this last sub point or whatever is love sacrificially. They sacrificed. They figured things out. They didn't have a temple to worship in anymore. So you know what they did? This is when they developed the idea of a synagogue. It's while they were in exile. They made it work. They made it where their, their children and their grandchildren could still learn from the Old Testament about who God is, his purposes, his ways. They could know the Old Testament. They could know how much God loves them and what God's called them to so that when it came time to return, they would know what to do. And we see, that's what happens. Amazing what happens. 150 years later, they've gone back into Jerusalem. You know, Persia kicks Babylon's tail and takes over. If you look at world history, and so Persian king is gracious and lets them start going back to rebuild. And the first thing they rebuild is what? Anybody know? The temple. They don't build a defense system. Most things you do, the first thing you build is a wall to keep the bad guys out, right? They didn't do that. They started with the temple. They were exposed to the enemy. They were, they were vulnerable and they were weak. They didn't have a trained army, but they trusted in the Lord and they built the temple. Then they rebuilt the city. And the last thing they rebuilt was the wall. And they did it because God's faithful to his promise. And because that generation was willing to lovingly sacrifice for their daughters, sons, grandsons, and granddaughters. That's what we're called to do today. We're to do what we gotta do now, to love and sacrifice for our children and our grandchildren. Because if you look at the trends of the American church, they are not good. They are not good at all. And if we don't do the hard things, which I'm so thankful, Canaan, you've been willing to do some hard things. And we've got to. Because I don't think any of us wanna look ahead 30 years and see that our grandkids are not in church, our great-grandkids are not in church, they're apathetic toward the Lord, they're all caught up in secular stuff. We don't wanna see that, amen? Well, what we do now directly impacts then. So are you as a mom, are you doing what you need to do to pour Jesus into your children? Are you as a grandma doing what you need to do to pour Jesus into your children, grandchildren? Are you encouraging your children to pour into your grandchildren? Of course, this goes for dads and granddads too, aunts, uncles. We got a lot of kids in this church, praise the Lord, amen. There's a lot of kids that just need role models. They need encouragement. You know, not every kid that comes to our church is from a Christian home, a Christian environment. Some of them struggle. 
Not all of our teenagers who come here Sunday mornings or Sunday nights is, is part of a gospel-centered family. They're home and they're seeing all kinds of dysfunction and anger and maybe even some abuse. And they come here. This should be, this gathering should be a refuge, a safe place, a place of hope, a place where we encourage future, a place where we talk about the gospel that brings wholeness. I mean, all the things we talked about today is what people need. So are you doing your part to ensure that the future generation walks with the Lord? Let's all stand and pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. God, we know there's a lot at stake that if we don't do what you've called us to do in this generation, then God, your ways could all be but forgotten in the next. Lord, we know because of your promise, that won't happen. So Lord, I just pray that we would be faithful, faithful to you, faithful to your gospel cause, faithful to pursuing your glory and honor. So God, just reveal yourself to us here this morning as we spend this time responding. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never trusted in you, who's never began that relationship with you through faith and being born again, that God, this would be a, a great morning for that to happen. Lord, if there's someone here who needs to join this church family, this is a great morning to do that. Or God, maybe this is just a time for some that they seem to come and pray and as our prayer counselors come forward, Lord, I just pray that you would bring people that need to just be with you, to access your throne room. Maybe they're a little intimidated. So God, we have these prayer counselors here just to go to the, before your throne room with them. And God, just intercede and pray to you about a child, about a grandchild, about a mother. So God, we just pray you use this time for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.